Well, happy pre-4th of July, everybody. I love the worship today, didn't you? I love, I love the patriotic songs. I love the praise songs to the Lord God. But it might be, because this service is so different from all the other services of the year, it might be that someone has walked in, maybe this is the first time you've ever come to Sugar Creek, or maybe you've just started coming to Sugar Creek for a few weeks, and you've come in and you have said in your mind, wait a minute. Does Sugar Creek Baptist Church worship America? Not at all. There is only one object of our worship, and that is the Lord our God. But it is a good thing. It is a good thing every so often to set aside a moment, which we do on this weekend, to remember that the blessing that our country has experienced has come from the very hand of God himself, that he's the power. It is a good thing for us to stop and be thankful for the freedoms that we have, that we experience and we know in this country. It is a good thing to stop and say thank you to those who have served in our armed forces who helped to preserve our freedom, amen? It is a good thing to do that. It is a good thing to give me a chance to wear this tie. It's the only Sunday I get the shot at wearing this thing right here. It is a good thing to be reminded that we are one nation under God. One nation under God. We sing God bless America, but we need to remember that for God to bless America, we need to be blessable. That God won't just bless America because we sing a song or because we ask him. There is a lifestyle that he expects us to live. And I want to talk to you about that today. I love the book of Proverbs. I know many of you read through the Proverbs, maybe, maybe a chapter every day of a month. It's just a great way to do that. And the book of Proverbs is filled with such wisdom and godly common sense. If you want to deal with any area of your life, any issue, seriously, any issue of your life, as you are reading through the Proverbs, it's amazing. There is a proverb or Proverbs for literally everything we experience. Every struggle we're going through, there is a word of wisdom for God, from God in the book of Proverbs is just absolutely amazing. But now as I'm reading through the book of Proverbs and I come to Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 28, at first I am wondering what? What in the world does that mean? Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 28. Do not move an ancient landmark set up by your forefathers. What? So I began to look at that and study that. I realized what he's talking about is a landmark is a barrier, a boundary, a marker that sort of lays out the ownership, the, who owns this piece of property. They are boundaries that go around that piece of property. And in fact, how they would do it is that they would put piles of rocks or some rock-carved monument at every single point that marked out their property. This is property that they were given all the way back by their forefathers, all the way back to Joshua. 
And as they laid out, as the people of Israel came to the promised land and laid out that land, they were given a piece of property, every single family, and they were to pass that property down from generation to generation. And now hundreds of years later, Solomon reminds them, do not move the landmark, the ancient landmark that was given by your forefathers. In other words, don't steal your neighbor's land. Don't come in the night and move that landmark a little bit over and thus steal part of the property of that neighbor because you're not just stealing from that neighbor. You are stealing from generations to come. Six times in the Bible, it has this statement, do not move the ancient landmark that has been established by your forefathers. You say, well, okay, that's interesting, but why today? This is a 4th of July weekend celebration. What are we talking about landmarks? Because I believe there is a great application for us as citizens of the United States. Our forefathers in this country established landmarks of who it is that we are to be of what kind of country this is to be, of what kind of morals that we are to live by. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that very thing. I'm not telling you that America is perfect because America has done some terrible things. America has done some awful things, some things that live below its ideals. All you got to do is go back in time and remember the time of slavery in this country. It violated every ideal of this nation. It is a terrible blight that we'll live with for the rest of our history. All you got to do is go back to when that slavery was eradicated and for the next 100 years, the civil rights of an entire race of people were stolen away and forced to live as African-Americans, as second-class citizens, in a country that they were citizens of. It is a sin that we as a country have paid dearly for. We don't ignore the things that we have done wrong. But this country has been a beacon on a hill. This country has been a lighthouse to the nations. This country has lived with morality and with hope and with strength and with courage. And it's to that that I want to talk to you about today. These landmarks that our forefathers established by which we're to live, by which we're to have a country, by which we are to operate our lives. I want to talk to you about at least three landmarks that our forefathers have given to us. Our forefathers have established a landmark of humility toward God, recognizing him as the primary reason for this country's greatness. Our forefathers believed in God's self-evident existence. Listen to Thomas Jefferson in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence and listen to what he says. He says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, meaning all people, meaning all, all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable, unalienable rights. And among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What Thomas Jefferson is saying is that the existence of God is self-evident. And the rights of mankind have been given by God, not by a country. Our rights have been given to us by a holy God. And thank God for a country that has recognized the rights that have come from him. Since our rights don't come from a country, a country can't take them away. Not rightfully, because they come from him. And he is saying this, that the power behind the power of these United States is the hand of God himself. Six times in John Adams, our second president, six times in his speeches, he made this statement that America is free only because of the power and grace of Almighty God. Not because of the strength of us, not because of the courage of us, but because of the intervention of Almighty God. On March the 4th of 1809, in an address to the country, President James Madison, who was the, the fourth president of the United States, who, by the way, was the author of the Bill of Rights, said this, my confidence will be, will under every difficulty be best placed in the guardianship and the guidance of that almighty being whose power regulates the destiny of nations, whose blessings have been so conspicuously dispensed on this rising republic and to whom we are bound to address our devout gratitude for the past, as well as our fervent supplications and best hopes for the future. What is James Madison saying? James Madison says, we know. We know that the United States, this republic exists because of God. Because the hand of God has put it here. And it is our duty to give praise and honor to him of gratitude to God. This is a president of the United States. To praise our God and to honor him with supplications for our future. These aren't just mere words. This entire culture in this time, our forefathers, those who built this nation, all of them understood as they had gone through the Revolutionary War that it would have been impossible for this country to overcome the greatest military force in the world. And yet it did. It did not have the power to win the Revolutionary War. It didn't have the ability. It didn't have the resources. But somehow it did. And the reason is because the hand of God moved. So many of those battles, out of nowhere came victory. And this country understood this has only happened because the hand of the Lord has done this thing. This was the heart of this country. This is the way this country looked upon the beginning, its birth. One of the landmarks of this nation is the public acknowledgement that the power behind the power of this nation is the hand of our God. We must never forget this. We today in the 21st century must never forget this. It is not our might. It is not our strength. It has been God's hand that has stayed with us 
and blessed us. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people have chosen, he has chosen as his own. If we abandon him, he will abandon us. There is a second landmark that our forefathers established, an open and public dependence upon and gratitude toward God. George Washington, our first president, called for a national day of prayer to be observed on November 26, 1789. Both houses of Congress ratified. And all of them were calling upon Americans to cry out to Almighty God in prayer and thanksgiving. And listen to what George Washington said. He said, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God and to obey his will. To stop there for a second. Can you imagine a president standing up today and saying, it is our duty to obey the will of God in America today. There would be so much uproar that would happen in America today. And yet George Washington, our first president, it is our duty to acknowledge God and to obey his will and to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Our second president, John Adams, on May the 9th, 1798, asked for a national day of prayer again, of humiliation and fasting. We're used to every year having a national day of prayer, but this was an unusual thing that would occur. And here our second president is asking for Americans to offer their devout prayers, he says, to the Father of mercies. Did you know that John Adams, three times in his speeches, warned the citizens of our country to turn from their sins in repentance to God. To turn from their sins in repentance to God. And three times he called upon the citizens of the United States to live their lives in moral purity, and he warned them that God was watching. He sounds more like a preacher than a president. But these were our founding fathers this is who they were. This was their, their life. This is how America lived. Our fourth president, who is the author of the First Amendment, calling for not just freedom of speech, but freedom of religion. He did not call for freedom of worship. He called for freedom of religion. And they are two different things. Freedom of worship is very restrictive. When you're in a house of worship, when you are at church, you have the freedom of worship. But freedom of religion means wherever I am, in whatever discourse I am, when whatever public sphere I am, I have freedom of my religion in America. And that is what the First Amendment talks about. This man who wrote this, saying the United States may not create a denomination which it forces everyone to then observe, and the United States may not make everyone be Christians or everyone to be anything, we have freedom of religion, was not meaning to say that the United States is to eradicate any mention of God from the public sector of a separation of church and state. He never said that, and he never did that. This man who wrote this is the man who knows what he was meaning when he wrote it. And yet this very man on August 
1812, the third Thursday of August, calls out for all Americans to call out to the sovereign of the universe and ask for his merciful forgiveness and for his assistance. You do a tour of all of the the great monuments and buildings in Washington, D.C. You go to Washington, D.C. and spend some time. My family lived on the Maryland side of Washington, D.C. all during my high school years and early college years. And uh, as soon as I got my driver's license and my father had helped me to see exactly how to get to to Washington, D.C. and back alive again, I would go into Washington, D.C. myself or with friends and we would go into Washington during the day only was allowed, but into Washington And I would go to all these buildings. I don't think I've missed one. I think I've been in them all, maybe. And when you go into these public buildings, we're talking about the government buildings in Washington, D.C., and you're walking up to them, you'll be stunned. There, etched in stone, is the name of God and prayers to God and acknowledgement of God and Scripture verses right out of the Word of God. And you go into these public buildings, you're stunned because all over etched in stone on the inside of these national buildings are verses from God's word in stone, talking about Jesus, talking about almighty God. In the rotunda of the Capitol, we're talking about where Congress is. In the rotunda, there are eight beautiful, huge paintings, and four of them are scripture. Four of them are right from the word of God. One of them is a picture of of the pilgrims coming from Holland and joining with the other pilgrims and then coming to America, and there they are on the ship, and there is the chaplain on the ship, and he's got his open Bible in the picture, and then on the sail, in God we trust. It's all over our buildings, the acknowledgement of God, the, the, the devotion to God, the scripture of God's word. Right off of the rotunda is a, a, a prayer room that is set aside for congressmen, for senators, and representatives. I wish they spent more time in that prayer room. Amen? And inside that prayer room, there is a beautiful stained glass window of George Washington kneeling in prayer. And surrounding the picture of George Washington kneeling in prayer is Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Do you think any of these buildings would be allowed to be built today? The moment anyone would be trying to construct any buildings like this today... The ACLU would be rising up with indignation and the media would be going ballistic and the activist judges would be passing yet more of their own legislation because that is exactly what an activist judge does. Instead of interpreting the Constitution, he rewrites the Constitution to fit his own morality. There would never be one of these buildings be able to be built today. Why? 
Because over the last 50 years in America, a group of people began to reinterpret the First Amendment and to reinterpret it in such a way in which we want God eradicated from our society. We want God eradicated from the public sector. You can worship in your, your churches, but don't you bring him up out here. There is a desire to tear out the Christian fabric of this country and to shut the mouths of believers in this country. But if that is what James Madison meant in the First Amendment, then why is it that all these buildings were built before this time period? Why is it that all these speeches of all these presidents calling us to repent and turn our hearts back to God, why is it that all of these speeches and all of the writings are there? Because what has been and become accepted interpretation of the First Amendment was never understood or intended in the first 200 years of this country's history. And as frustrated as I feel over that, I guess I look at what God sees. I don't think he cares much about activist judges or the ACLU. I think he looks at my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. There is not one judge that can stand in the way. There is not one ACLU person that can stand in the way. There is not one ungodly media person that can stand in the way and not all media people are ungodly. Many great, incredible Christians are in the media. But there is not one person that can stand in God's way in this country if the people of God would get our hearts right with him. If there would be revival in our hearts, if we would live what we say if we would turn our hearts back to him and we would do what his word teaches us to do. This is the landmark that was given to us by these forefathers. Turn your heart to God. For Isaiah 60 verse 12 says, for the nation or kingdom that will not serve you, meaning God, will perish. It will be utterly ruined. Jeremiah 12, verse 17. But if any nation does not listen to me, I will completely uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. We must not forget our roots. We must not forget who we are. We must not forget the power of the Lord our God and the devotion that this country has had toward him. We must not forget. There is one more landmark. Our forefathers established the landmark of biblical moral principles. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. One of the landmarks that was laid at the beginning and stayed throughout the time was the calling of our society to a moral, upright, and just to be that kind of people. 
George Washington said in his farewell address, I want you to understand what this is. This is the final speech of George Washington. He has served as president for eight years. He is finally going back home after all this time of the war of his presidency, and now he's finally going back home. But in his last speech, he makes a statement to this country, and here's what he said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity. Two things, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who would labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. What is he saying? George Washington was saying there are two pillars that hold a society together. There are two great pillars that hold up our country, our culture, religion. And by religion, he was talking about the worship of the Lord God, of religion, of serving the Lord God. And number two, morality, biblical morality is the only thing he would have understood the worship of God, the living out of the moral truths of God's word. And he says, without these two things, no society can continue. And notice what else he said. He said, anyone who claims to be a patriot, but who is tearing away the fabric of worship of God and of biblical morality is not a patriot at all. That's what he said. These are strong words of a president, the first president of the United States. And then it was John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, on July the 4th, 1821, who made a very interesting statement. He was, he was giving a speech, and he inserted one sentence that is an amazing sentence, and I want you to hear what he said. The American people are bound by the laws of God. The American people are bound by the laws of God, which they all. And by the laws of the gospel, meaning of, of Jesus Christ, which they nearly all acknowledge as the rules of their conduct. I want you to hear what he's saying. I have been told by several people that the early America was not the Christian nation, that everybody says it, that that is, that is sort of revisionist history. Oh, no. Here is the sixth president of the United States, and in 1821, he makes this statement. All of America lives by the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Everybody does, he says. And nearly everybody lives by the precepts of the gospel of Jesus Christ, know him, and are Christ's followers. Nearly everyone, he says. Not everyone, but nearly everyone lives by the teachings of Jesus Christ and the precepts of the gospel of Jesus. That was the America in 1821. This country has only been as strong as the character 
and the morality of our country has been strong. America has never been perfect, and America has made some desperate mistakes. But America has lived by a set of moral principles from the beginning to today. And among those principles are these five ideals. Hard work, the morality of hard work. The morality of personal responsibility, of everyone standing on their own two feet. The morality of compassion. The morality of compassion, of caring for those that are in need, for those who are disfortunate, those people that are struggling and hurting and cannot make it. The morality of compassion. When do you ever hear about the compassion of Russia? The compassion of China? The compassion of any other country? But you're always hearing about the compassion of America because this country from the beginning of its roots has had a heart of compassion for those in need, those who are hurting, those who are struggling to reach out and care in a heart of compassion. Where did we get it? It all came from God's word from the very beginning, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Old Testament to care for others and not just ourselves. Hard work, personal responsibility, compassion, and America is to be a place of opportunity, not just for some, but a place of opportunity for all people and an emphasis on the moral precepts of God's word. So here's what I'm asking today. Here is what I'm saying to all of us today. As we stop, we go through this whole weekend and all next week, and we're celebrating the the anniversary of our independence as a nation. Let us recommit ourselves to be one nation under God, of standing for equality and equal opportunity for each other, of being a good and upright people. Let's be a nation that God wants to bless because we honor and obey him. This is the America that the only ones in this country will bring are people who are followers of Jesus Christ and who are willing to live out the truth of God's word. May this be who we are. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I pray for revival in America. And Father, by revival, we mean, God, would you bring us back to your word and what your word teaches. Oh, God, remind us of the landmarks of this country that we were founded by godly men who loved you and called constantly this country to repentance and to obedience to your word. Oh God, may that be renewed in our hearts today. May you raise up those who know you, who know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Would you raise up those who know you? And may, Father, we come to repentance in our heart and obedience to your word. We ask for revival in this country. 
Father, I pray today for those in this room that have never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior that this would be the day of their salvation. I pray, Father, for those in this room who are not members of this church, but God, you're moving their heart to be a part of this church. And I pray for all of us today. Oh, God, revive us again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.